Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today we check in with Fidelity Managing Director of Research, Charlie Habarb, and Portfolio Manager, Michael Kim. They give an update on Fidelity Disruptors class and discuss where they are finding emerging market movers within the space. They note it's been a challenging year for investors, but innovative disruptors have emerged in the marketplace, reshaping industries and offering new avenues for investment. Their investment strategy focuses on diversification and equal distribution across various sectors. The disruptors class consists of five distinct sectors, disruptive technology, communication services, disruptive finance, medicine, and disruptive automation. For disruptive automation, they highlight ongoing shifts towards onshoring, manufacturing for risk reduction, and automation is a broad field that includes robotics in factories and electric vehicles, which can offer significant opportunities. Charlie and Michael also highlight opportunities in healthcare, including their thoughts on the weight loss drug market, as well as AI, emphasizing the impact of AI in sectors beyond consumer-facing applications. This podcast was recorded on November 7th, 2023. Great to see you, Charlie and Mike. How are you both? Great to see you, Pamela. Great to have you join us here. And I think, Charlie, you're joining us from London. You're doing travel. And, and Mike, you're in the Boston area? Yeah, I'm still uh, I'm still in the Boston area. Um, let's dig into sort of reminding everyone to what actually the disruptors class is and how and how it works a little bit. Um, Charlie, can I ask you to initially take us through why the disruptors class, first of all? Sure, sure. So these are uh, products that we created um, really to recognize that there are uh, companies that are completely transforming industries and disrupting profit pools. And so that was really why we decided to, to build a product suite funds around some of these trends. And, you know, in Canada, we have, uh, you know, two funds that we uh, that we offer. The first covers five sectors, five individual building block uh, funds, uh, disruptive technology, communication services, uh, disruptive finance and medicine, as well as disruptive automation. And so when you purchase that fund, you receive equal uh, equal percentage of, of each of those underlying building blocks. And then we also have disruptive automation, which is exactly what it sounds. Uh, these are companies that provide um, opportunities for you know automation in, in factories and other places as, as well. And Mike, maybe just pick up on some of that. Like, it feels like this year, certainly a lot of years have, but this year really has been sort of where the disruption rubber hits the road, hasn't it? I mean, it just feels like everything's moving very quickly on this front. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's been kind of a crazy year. We started off with a lot of uncertainty after last year. You know, we got beat up pretty good, uh, just markets in general last year as we kind of went from this, you know, extreme growth tilt to extreme valuation tilt. And so there was a lot of uncertainty coming into this year, but, um, you know, the market's been pretty resilient overall. And so now we're starting to see, uh, some of those opportunities coming, uh, you know, coming back to the forefront. Um, you know, in automation, we cover things like robotics. Um, but we also cover things like, you know, battery technology and factory automation. So there, there's, there's a lot going on in the space and, you know, it's been um, there have been a few emerging themes that, um, you know, that we could talk about today. You know, 
obviously early earlier in the year there was there was so much talk about ai generative ai and you know the chat uh chat gpt and how it impacts everything and you know the space just blew up so we can kind of touch on that and then you know there've been a few other things going on in the market especially like over the summer we saw a lot of action going on uh with with the weight loss drugs so um you know i think there's a few things that we can touch on there sure Absolutely. We'll, we'll fold them all in. You know, why don't we, why don't we go to the healthcare side of it a little bit? Um, so, so Charlie, when you think about the, the drug or the pharma side of things, um, that seems to be one of the clear stories. What, what else within healthcare? And then we'll dig into sort of the, the weight loss discussion, how big that market might be, but give us a sense of what else is in sort of the medicine disruptor area. Sure. No, happy to talk about that. And, you know, I think across medicine, you know, not just with weight loss drugs, but there are always going to be, uh, you know, disruptive uh, technologies impacting, you know, health. And, um, you know, so happy to, you know, talk about, but, you know, there's some areas of biotech, for example, uh, you know, which are creating whole new classes of, of drugs that, uh, you know, can, can bring relief, uh, you know, to, to various conditions, uh, you know, where it hasn't existed before. Uh, there can be various, you know, treatment options or medical devices, um, you know, that can, that can also bring, you know, bring relief and improve mobility. And so, you know, I think that's an area where um, there's going to be tremendous opportunity, you know, for, for years. Mike, let's talk a little bit about the size of the market for the weight loss drugs. It's, it, it's been a story that's sort of been hitting the headlines for a while. And it's, it's one of those stories that impacts a lot of other companies, which, which is exactly what disruption is, isn't it? Do you want to just speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but for sure, the market opportunity there is tremendous. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting because I think at this point, the limiting factor is, is simply going to be two, two things. One is how much of the drugs can, can the companies actually make, you know, inventory? Because, um, you, you know, that's going to be a big thing. It's not trivial, uh, to, to manufacture. Uh, you know, you know, the drugs that we're talking about. And so that's going to be a limiting factor as, as, as we move forward. And then also, you know, who's going to pay for it, right? And whether or not, at least, you know, here, here in the United States, we have private insurance. And, you know, I think the actuaries at the different insurance companies are still trying to figure out if, you know, at the, the cost benefit of these, uh, you know, paying for them up front versus, paying for, you know, future healthcare problems down the road in individuals, you know, which one is going to win out. So that, you know, there's still a lot of uncertainty in, in the market, but there's just no doubt that this is a huge opportunity, um, just game shifting. And, you know, it impacts, you know, parts of the market uh, that you might not even really think about um, at first glance. A few weeks ago, I was, I was watching Bloomberg um, as, as, as I was working and I saw this uh, headline come across about how Walmart was warning about, um, you know, well, at least the, at the very least, they're thinking about how these drugs could impact their top line. Um, and that's that's really significant, you know, to think about, um, you know, a company like Walmart that obviously they have a big part of their business in groceries, uh, thinking about how they could potentially be impacted by this uh, by this class of drugs. So, um, just far reaching and a uh, huge market opportunity for sure. But it's, it's, it's moving around parts of the market that you probably wouldn't even think about uh, at first glance. Charlie, uh, this fund is, is global and, and that trend is global or is it more North American targeted? Just give us a sense of how it works with well, a global fund approach. 
Yeah, I, I, I think it's important to appreciate that, you know, obesity is a global health, uh, you know, issue. And, uh, you know, it has all kinds of implications, uh, you know, from quality of life to uh, life expectancy. And, you know, so clearly, um, you know, across, uh, you know, obesity is, is, is a very large problem in the U.S., but it's also becoming more and more of a problem um, in other uh, regions of the world as well. So I think addressing it is, uh, you know, is, is a huge opportunity. Um, and so, you know, like to, to Mike said, I mean, it has, it has implications for, you know, snack, uh, you know, makers, uh, you know, uh, rest, restaurants, apparel makers. I mean, really the, um, you know, the impact of, uh, you know, these drugs, um, you know, is, it, it remains to be seen. It's early days, but I think it's going to be, you know, a really significant, you know, trend. Mike, um, just take us through the idea. You, your background, if I recall correctly, is is on the quant side of things. Just speak to sort of how the fund works in terms of picking up on factors, exactly some of the disruptive things that we're discussing right now, rather than sectors. I mean, they play a role too, but just just speak to sort of the quant and the factors side of things that that's incorporated into the funds. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Um, Thanks for remembering, actually. Uh, so, so my job as a quant, um, you know, I focus on a couple of things. One is I'm always thinking about risk in, in the portfolio. So that's part of my, my mandate, um, my role as a PM. Uh, and then the other thing that kind of ties into that is just portfolio construction, taking all of the great ideas that we have, uh, from, from the different, uh, analysts that contribute ideas to the fund and then putting them all to, you know, how do you, how do you take all these names and put them into an actual portfolio? So that's my role. Um, for the fund themselves, you know, you touched on something there, which is that we can't really just think of these things as, um, you know, in individual sectors, right? A lot of these names, they might be classified, um, in, in a sector, but, you know, the implications are across sectors. So to that point, you know, when we think about disruption, we actually rely quite heavily on the fundamental uh, investment team. You know, we have a global research department, you know, spanning multiple offices across, uh, across the globe, plus different asset classes. So, um, uh, you know, so we have these teams of analysts that come together with the MDRs, uh, and with myself. And, you know, we basically go through the exercise of trying to find names that fit the disruptive mandate. Um, you know, the disruptive theme. Uh, one of the five sub themes, and then there are sub sub themes uh, beneath that as well, uh, and then also then finding the best ideas among those. Right? Um, we also actually rely on some um, AI and natural language processing uh, screens ourselves that that our quant team has developed uh, to again help us identify names that fit the disruptive theme uh, and give us an idea of what to look for in the market. Uh, so we come together, we have meetings, we, you know, we get the ideas from the analysts. And then my job is as a quant is to take them all, kind of put them in a, a little bit of a risk, uh, you, you know, risk amelioration um, process and then build the portfolio from there. So it's a real team based effort, um, you know, from everyone. Fascinating. Charlie, did you want to add anything to that? I was actually going to ask you about automation, but if there's something you just wanted to jump in there to, to flesh out how the team works. Yeah, no, I, th I think it's really important to recognize, as Michael said earlier, that, you know, these themes take place across sector. And so we're really able to leverage, uh, you know, Fidelity's you know, global presence across multiple sec sectors to get the right people in the room to talk about, 
uh, you know, these, uh, these, these themes and, and the companies that are, are best positioned you know, to benefit. And so it's, it's very different from like a traditional sector based product, which, you know, takes place within the context of a silo, say technology. You know, here we're drawing upon expertise across multiple sectors. And I think is, is something that's, that's, that's really helpful and plays to Fidelity's strengths. Charlie, can you just um, carry on with sort of the automation side of things? So I'm thinking automation, I think we can figure out how that works to an extent, the robotics within within factories and so on. It also makes you think of sort of the auto industry and EVs as well. Um, take us through some of the opportunities that you see there and um, just describe a bit where we are in some of these scenes. Are we at the beginning still or? Sure. Well, let, let's take a, a step back and let's talk about one of the things that's driving automation. One of the things that's driving automation is that labor costs are rising around the world. And so, you know, if you think about you know, globalization. One of the things that drove globalization was labor arbitrage. The idea that you could outsource manufacturing to another, to another region of the world and save significant amounts of money vis-a-vis what it would cost to manufacture something in your own country. And so, you know, now you have rising labor costs everywhere in the world. And, you know, that's resulting in an increased, uh, you know, need and, and desire for automation. Uh, things that can you know maintain uh, profit margins, but the other thing that's happening simultaneously is that given the the increase in geopolitical tension, companies are reassessing their supply chain and they're thinking about ways that they can you know reduce the risk to potential disruption. And one of the ways you do that is by onshoring or pulling more of your productive capacity, uh, you know, back. Uh, to where the ultimate demand may may lie for your goods and, and 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 your services, and so that's really like the underlying driver of this uh, significant uh, you know increase in in interest around automation. And is it what inning are we in here? Yeah, I think it's still early, early, uh, early innings. Um, and uh, you know, I don't I don't know if if we're in the second or third inning, but it's it's still very early in the game. Mike, when we when we look at actually the market action last week, the macro backdrop that's been unfolding for the last three years, really, um, in, in a lot of different directions, what time is this? You know, within the markets for you, is this is this a great time to sort of go shopping? Are you feeling the uncertainty in a lot of different areas? Tell us how the the time horizon and and the time we're in right now affect the way you're looking at investments. Yeah, uh, great question. You know, for this fund in particular, we we um, or, or actually for all these funds, we we actually think about these things with longer investment horizons um, than probably is typical. So, you know, everyone's always concerned, at least here in the U.S., um, you know, with the next quarter and what's going on with the the next quarterly outlook, and then maybe to the next year. Uh, when we think about disruption, it can take. It, it can take a while, right? Like it doesn't happen overnight. It's probably one of those things where, uh, you know, it happens slowly and then all at once, right? Um, so, so we try and keep a long investment horizon, um, when we think about what's in the portfolio. Now, in terms of what's been going on with the market, I feel like we have had, uh, a little bit of stabilization, at least in the outlook, uh, for interest rates here in the U.S. Um, and that certainly helped kind of drive the market action over the past week. You know, I don't know that we need to have um, a, an environment where we have constant cuts anymore. I think we just need to have some stability of outlook. You know, people can get used to 
um, you know, a higher base level of rates. It's just the uncertainty of whether or not it's going to, you know, stay there. Right. That's that's problematic. Um, you know, and, and quality management teams, uh, which is another one of the things that, you know, we, we ask our fundamental team, you know, analysts to look at, um, and it's really hard to capture unless you have a fundamental, uh, analyst, you know, sitting down and talking with management. Good management teams, they can kind of negotiate this kind of environment. They can get used to higher rates and figure out what their capital needs are, um, you know, what their growth outlook is and, and how those all tie in together. So in that sense, I think it's really it's to the advantage of some of the the higher quality growth names and the higher quality management teams out there. You know, I think we can get through this. And if I think about opportunity, you know, I'm a long term investor, so I'm always just in the market. And, you know, you take you take what the market gives you right now. It's you know, it's been a good year and then it's been kind of soft over the summer, um, you know, as as concerns have ramped up. But. You know, I just kind of, for myself personally, I'm, I just, you know, I'm, I'm always staying invested somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie, what about you? Would you, would you say, I mean, last week we, we saw sort of the breadth fan out a bit. It was, when do we get to the point of, you know, got rising tides, lifting boats? I mean, are, are we in those discussions or not so much? Yeah. I mean, I think Mike is, is, is right that companies can adjust to higher levels of interest rates where they get really nervous. It's when, you know, it looks like there's open-ended uh, potential for increase for further increases. And so, you know, I guess as, as I think about it, there are always opportunities for great companies to continue to execute against, um, you know, a, a very large market opportunity. And so that's really what we're trying to, uh, to do. We're trying to find these companies that are so well positioned that they're going to benefit. Uh, and if we're correct on identifying these big secular themes, you know, those companies are going to do very well over, over time. And that's not, that doesn't mean they're going to go up in a straight line. There's always volatility in, in the market. But I think over time, we're trying to find companies where we think they have such a great position that if you look out three to five years, their earnings are going to be materially higher than they are today. And if we're right on that assessment of the company's earnings power and, and, and cash flow generation, then you know, they're going to be good stocks over time. That doesn't mean that you're, you're not going to have to live through you know, periods of pretty significant uh, volatility. Yeah, similar to what we've seen since since the market kind of peaked in July, it pulled back, and then you know last week you know we we had an incredible rally. So um, you know I, I think we're uh, we, we've been doing this a long time. You know we 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 approach it with uh, you know a discipline in terms of uh, you know how we think about what companies are going to earn, and I think that's what ultimately you know drives success in, in investing. For sure. When you um, maybe I'll put this to Mike. Within technology, um, I mean, everything's technology. So I was, I was going to ask you, actually, if some of these companies are the ones being disrupted, for instance, in the in the healthcare space, when we're talking about the weight loss drugs, they are the disruptors. Um, what about within sort of AI, the the ones that are making AI, the, the those that others are deploying within their companies? Do you like them as much as the companies that sort of stand to be disrupted and therefore probably look leaner and meaner, which, which, which do you prefer? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a great question. And, and the answer is kind of both, right? I think when we think of disruption and disruptors, uh, for this, uh, for this fund, you know, I think people are always thinking about it in terms of, you know, a lot of kind of small 
game-changing companies. Maybe they're not even public companies or private, right? Um, but the flip side of that is that you get big companies like the Microsofts of the world that, you know, they're so well positioned to make those kind of investments and in joint ventures. You know, they had a big investment with, with, uh, with OpenAI project, you know, last year. Um, so, uh, you know, there's just so many ways to play it. At this point, it's almost not even like, um, you know, like, like it's a specialty theme. I mean, it's very per pervasive. I mean, there isn't a company, including our own, um, that isn't talking or thinking about how, um, how AI can, can really change their business. Um, you know, on the automation front, I mean, just last week I was watching a video that Boston Dynamics put out. Um, I don't know if people are aware of Boston Dynamics. They make those, uh, robot dogs, right? Uh, amongst other things, but that's what. Yeah. And, and they put it and they hooked it up with a, with a chat GPT, right? And so they're having conversations with these, with these robotic dogs. Um, it's, it's, so like I said, it's pervasive. You, you find it even in automation, industrials, finance, uh, technology, consumer. Um, there's just so many, uh, there's so many opportunities that, um, I don't think that there's any one set of companies or any one way to play it. Um, and you know, one of the ways that we, we play it too is, um, you think about all the, the horsepower that you need, um, in terms of making AI happen and horsepower in terms of, uh, you know, the chips that are involved in the processing. Um, so, so we do, you know, we have a lot of exposure to, uh, to, to the chip space just, just for that reason. Um, you know, something has to actually be the engine running all of these things. So, um, so there's a lot of different ways to get there. And Charlie, where would you say that this fund fits for an investor? This is, um, you've got a growth, style obviously um where, where does it fit would you say what kind of strategy i think it really represents a core component of any investor's uh you know growth portfolio and um you know we're really um you know finding great companies that we think are really levered to these you know long-term secular trends and you know just to follow up on mike's ai point i mean what i i'd, I'd liken um, ai to a platform shift and if you go back and think about the early days of the internet and you know there were companies like you know pets.com and if you were just focused on companies like that you missed the bigger picture which was that uh, you know, the internet was going to be embedded in any business and service. It was going to enable the creation of new, uh, new companies, uh, you know, as, as well. And, you know, I think AI is similar. I think it, there are going to be companies that, you know, don't invest and they're going to see their competitive positioning, uh, eroded over, over time, you know, vis-a-vis -vis their, their competitors, uh, you know, that recognize some of the opportunities, uh, that AI could, um, you know, could, uh, could, could what it could, what it could mean for the company, whether it was increased efficiency or, you know, more effective ways to, to reach customers. Uh, so I think, you know, AI is, is really a platform shift. Um, tell us a little bit about, within sort of the fintech area, I was listening to some commentators, I think it was today and yesterday, um, talking more about sort of financials as a cyclical play. And within the conversation was the discussion of financials sort of trying to redefine themselves in an era of fintech, like trying to figure out actually, are they cyclical plays in exactly the way they thought they were? We don't need to get into all of that, but I was just sort of curious about that component of fintech and how it is changing the financials, but also changing, again, it's one of those factors that cuts across 
so many different aspects of the economy. Just just take us through the the fintech opportunity, um, Mike. Maybe first to you. Yeah, sure. So uh, you know, it's interesting when people think about fintech and AI. You know, they're thinking about like you know consumer, many consumer facing, and just being able to get around uh, the traditional finance system. Um, but there's there's some interesting things going on that people don't really think about that are kind of underneath the surface, right? So. Uh, for an insurance company, you know, there's a lot of underwriting that has to get done. Um, and a lot of that, you know, used to be a very manual process. Um, you know, the leaders in that segment are using AI algorithms to kind of automate, uh, uh, automate their underwriting and, you know, assess their risks better and do all that modeling. So there's a tremendous, uh, opportunity for efficiency growth, uh, in that segment. And so, so it's not just all about like, um, you know, kind of the, the, the things that have gotten a lot of press recently, uh, in the fintech space, right? Like there are subtle ways that AI is shaping how companies do business in that, that area. Yeah. Any, anything to add there, Charlie, on, on the fintech side of things, just sort of to describe how, how you look at it as an opportunity, essentially? I don't think I really have anything specifically to add as it relates to, to fintech. But, you know, one, one thing I would say is, and it comes back to this point, which is all companies over time are going to have to embrace AI in order to be, you know, successful and competitive. And, and, and the reason I say that is if you think about any company that produces uh, anything anywhere in the world, right, they have a physical factory, uh, and companies are going to also have to have a digital factory and the digital factory is going to be, you know, AI enabled, AI driven. And it helps, helps, you know, forecast demand, for example. It helps companies become more efficient in, in managing the productive ca uh, capacity that they have already. And so, you know, this is why, you know, I, I, I characterize AI as just really like a platform. It's just something that everybody is going to have to do. Right. Okay. Fascinating. Um, I guess one quick question is just about when you look at certain companies that, that were market leaders and um, certainly took part in sort of the early tech boom. And, you know, we're, it feels like we're back at the beginnings of of some of that. Is is it clear how AI, for instance, will be priced into stock prices at this point? I mean, I guess if you could almost answer that by how you're positioned in the fund to sort of ultimately take that and run with it. But it, it seems like we don't know yet. Is that is that fair? We don't know what the valuation equation is for AI being in a company, said company? Well, I think what's interesting about AI versus other shifts, and you think about going from mainframes to PCs, there were new winners uh, right. that came about as a result of that. And then you had, you know, the movement to internet and mobile, and that created other winners. I think what's interesting about AI is some of the companies that you would already um, characterize as having been successful, companies like Microsoft, Alphabet, um, you know, they're already really well positioned uh, right. to, to, to capture you know, growth from AI. So I think it's, it is different from these other shifts. And in many ways, I think you could argue that some of the winners uh, now become, you know, even, even better positioned and, and can win in new areas. Um, and I think that's something that, um, you know, is, is, is different uh, this, this, this time. And, you know, I, I, I liken it to, um, 
you know, Mike, Mike mentioned Microsoft, you know, earlier. And, you know, what's fascinating is you think about each person in an office, like the amount of information that goes through the office suite, you know, whether it's emails, spreadsheets, and, you know, Microsoft has developed a product called Copilot, and it essentially leverages all of this information that's already there and helps workers uh, be more efficient and with increased worker efficiency comes cost savings. And so, you know, I think that is is, is something that I think is just important to, to, to recognize. Um, you know, there will be new uh, new winners uh, from from AI. Maybe some of these companies haven't e- haven't even uh, been created or founded yet. But I think it is important to recognize that some of these you know companies that we'd already characterize as very well positioned, uh, you know, I think are are really well positioned. Uh, to benefit from AI as well. Charlie and Mike, I want to thank both of you. It, it sounds like an exciting time to be in the positions that you're in, to be looking at all of these great themes going forward. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Pamela. Thank you, Pamela. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments.